Welcome to the Health and Pharma Supply Chain Summit. I'm JT Angstrom with FreightWaves. Joining me today is Chris Wolf, CEO of Powerfleet. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you join us. I'm looking forward to our discussion topic today, which is pharma supply chains and lessons abroad. So thank you for your time. Hey, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, JT. And I know you all have um, a lot of activities in the space and a lot of experience in the space. I think before we dive into the topic, can we start off first by talking a little bit about your background uh, prior to Powerfleet and then um, after joining Powerfleet? Yeah, I started my career actually in logistics, uh, writing software, uh, enterprise class software for uh, shipment tracking and uh, transportation management systems. <clears throat> Sorry, I did that at uh, Roadway Express and also at Leaseway Transportation, which is now Penske Logistics. Uh, segued from that to work at Qualcomm, the Omnitrax division, uh, for about 13 years. I actually ran that division uh, for five years. Uh, we did a phenomenal, phenomenal job by my uh, customers and by my employees. Retired in 2005. Uh, since that, I kind of did some strategic consulting in the space, and then I uh, joined Powerfleet in 2016. And uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about Powerfleet, but it's been a great run, you know, since joining. That's awesome. And I think what's wonderful about your background is the combination of direct operating company exposure, asset heavy and asset light, also the influence of um, working in a, a technological environment within that, and then transitioning over to both you know, your Qualcomm experience and advisory services, which, uh, which I think gives you a pretty broad perspective on um, uh, uh, how the industry has evolved over the past you know, decade plus, which is great. Yeah, I, th I think you just called me old. Thanks, JT. <laughs> I would <laughs> never. <laughs> um, we appreciate the experience. And so within that, can you talk to us a little bit about um, uh, your time at Powerfleet, uh, the differentiated services at Powerfleet, how Powerfleet thinks about uh, addressing the space and growing the business? Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We actually take a uh, bottoms-up approach in our architecture, <clears throat> really uh, starting from the cargo itself. So if you think about, ultimately, technology will let you you know let the cargo be self-aware. And if you go with that thought process, then everything you build, whether you're tracking the truck, the trailer, the chassis, the container, the pallet, the carton. Uh, it all has to fit in that Rubik's cube. And so what we do is we build telemetry platforms. They're, they're not uh, tracking units. I, every time I hear that, I, my head wants to go crazy. But so what we build is very intelligent um, mobility platforms that are edge computers that can basically bring a lot of sensor data, uh, whether that be temperature, shock, vibe, uh, also imaging, you know, because an image is worth a thousand words. Take that up, be able to process that through machine language, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, and then take that meaningful data and help companies make decisions. I mean, you know, we have the who's who in our uh, customer base from Publix to uh, United States Postal Service, and we're also on the dock. A lot of people don't understand that. So when you look at supply chain, it's like, can you go from the fork, you know, which goes to the bin, get the freight, take it to the trailer, and actually have complete visibility of the full supply chain? And we actually have mobility units that are actually on, you know, like in Toyota Motor Manufacturing, great customer of ours, uh, Georgia Pacific, I could Procter & Gamble, Nestle, they have our units actually on the dock, uh, moving freight every day. Yeah, that's tremendous. And that's a, a super high value service, uh, clearly pre-COVID, but perhaps even more so now post-COVID or, or after the start of COVID, if you will. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how 
the, the, the value or the positioning of those services, those technological services has, has either increased or changed perhaps a little bit since, since the, since, since the pandemic and perhaps the urgency with, with which those services are needed in that space specifically. Yeah, I think it all comes down to velocity now. You know, again, I would almost say pre-COVID, you had ELD and HOS mandate in the industry, which kind of constricted over-the-road time for drivers. And that was already exacerbating the time at the dock, right? You know, so how long are you in a yard? How long are you at the dock? Can you get the driver in and out and make the boat, you know, so he can make more money and be he or she can make more money and get more miles. So our technology, what we do is we focus on, hey, the trailer, the chassis, is it the right status? You know, with our freight camera, you can actually see the freight. You know, how many times have a dri- you know, driver thought he was picking up an empty trailer and, you know, it's not really empty. You know, they're using it for storage uh, or, you know, maybe they never unloaded it 100%. They're using it for warehousing. Uh, we can actually show you, you know, the driver can actually look in the trailer, you know, so you just stopped a miss, you know, a miss hook and, you know, he's going to get down the road and find out he has to take it back. <clears throat> Same with on the dock. It gets about velocity. How, how fast are the trailers getting loaded? You know, how fast are the trailers getting unloaded? And by the way, with our technology, I can tell you how to unload it before the trailer gets there. Is it palletized freight? Is there uh, locking bars? Is it special roll? And, and by the way, is there also like a shift in transit? And with the sensor data on the topic we're going to get to, I can tell you that it was probably a temperature incursion, a humidity issue, or a shock issue at the pallet level. Yeah, that's that's tremendous, and that visibility is is very valuable. Um, so within that, can, can we talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing around the globe with respect to um, pharmaceutical distribution? you know, specifically related to, you know, the, the pandemic we're in and how that distribution has, has, has changed a little bit. Maybe the distribution is the same, but some of the pressures or needs for urgency have changed. Yeah, it's actually, it's different all around the globe. You know, literally, it's different in every 50 states right now. That's kind of been our problem. You know, we don't really have a master plan. You know, I, hopefully that's uh, going to be taking effect. <clears throat> we have uh, operations in Israel, Excuse me. We have operations in Israel, and obviously everyone, I I believe, knows Israel's way ahead of the curve on uh, implementing vaccines. 37% of the population is already vaccinated. Uh, About over 3 million people are vaccinated. That doesn't sound like a lot, but they only have 9 million people. Um, But there, everyone, this is where like government-sponsored healthcare comes into play because everyone's on an HMO. And so it you know, they can actually manage that direct, get needles into arms a lot faster than we can and, and make sure the follow-up is there as well. And obviously, they, is there a small geography and they can mobilize very quickly. That all being said is at the state level with our government's help, we could be doing the same thing. You know, it's it's just like, you know, FEMA needs to get involved. Now they are. You know, it's like they were kind of persona non grata there for, you know, I would say AWOL for like, what, a year. But, you know, what's FEMA? It's a federal emergency management agency. It's like it's not just a hurricane agency. You know, they could put up, you know, pop up tents and vaccination centers and they can get the PPE in. They have the logistics backbone and the capabilities to help uh, with the with the private side. So it depends on the geography. And uh, we actually use our own data. And we did it you know, pre-COVID. But to actually see what parts of the economy actually were being impacted, you know, because we're actually on the dock, we're actually in the yard, we're actually on rental cars, you know, it's like, so we can actually look at the data and see the impact on the economy. Sorry. And then uh, trying to get to where 
uh, the distribution itself, right? So from from the pharmacy to you know like the bulk distribution centers, that's already handled. You know, that's handled by the big pharma companies and the contracts they have. It, the real problem we've had here in the states is really that last mile. You know, just getting it to and specifically like the uh, Pfizer vaccine because of the cold temperature requirements. You know, it's it's can't be handled by regular. Uh, handling means. So you just can't take the CVS, right? You, you have to take it to a special hospital that can keep it cool for the amount of time. So it sounds like what you're seeing internationally could potentially be a great framework to leverage domestically. And, you know, we're, we're uh, perhaps a little bit of a late adopter, but, you know, with that in mind, have the benefit of, of being able to, to shop for what we see as the best framework internationally um, and, and hopefully are doing a good job of adopting that and then implementing that. Um, yeah, it's always good to be a clone. Uh, you know, like it, nothing wrong with being a copycat if it's a good process, right? Right, right, right. And you mentioned a few stats uh, prior to us connecting regarding uh, not just the vaccination rates, but uh, some of the va- favorable uh, statistics post-vaccination. Can we talk about that a little bit of, of what you're seeing overseas and perhaps how we how we might be able to think about that here domestically? Yeah, there's a Goldman Sachs report out, and I think they got their uh, data from the uh, Maccabi Research and Innovation Center in Israel. And uh, so, and they specifically looked at people over 60 who had received their vac- vaccinations. And initially, when you just look at the high-level data, uh, it doesn't look good, you know, because, you know, I have a stand-up COVID meeting, you know, with my executives around the globe uh, every Monday. And it's like the infection rates, the hospitalizations, and the death rates in Israel have not slowed down. Right. So you'd say, wow, you're 37 percent of the population's vaccinated, but yet you're not seeing, the, you know, the cause and effect, you know, that you'd like to see. But when you look at this report and you look at the specific age groups that now have had their second vaccine and it's 12 days later, so you've given it time to get to its efficacy, uh, literally, there's a huge drop off. I mean, like in the number of uh, infections in that age group, as well as uh you know, just people being hospitalized and deaths. I mean, it's just, it was, um, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, it, it goes from, you know, like 40% of the population over 60 were infected to, I mean, of getting new infections to like 5%. So that's actually, that was a bright spot. We just saw that today, actually. That's very encouraging. It's very encouraging. And so now, can we talk a little in a little bit more detail and depth around how powerfully is is playing within this space, given a lot of the um, you know, dynamics that we just discussed with respect to, you know, pharma slash COVID, what are some of the services that you all are offering that are differentiated in the marketplace? And how do you think about providing incremental visibility um, uh, and control and, and, incre- and, and supporting the increasing of the velocity of distribution uh, for these mission critical uh, elements of the supply chain? Yeah, it's fairly uh, new business opportunity for Powerfleet. I would say it's about uh, two years since our acquisition of Pointer in Israel. And, is- and Pointer, by the way, had operations around the globe, and and ID Systems was uh, the precursor to Powerfleet. And we had operations in the U.S. and Europe. <clears throat> so combined, we actually literally have a global footprint today. Uh, but when you look at uh, in Israel and what we're doing with the pharmaceutical companies, we're actually with seven different pharmaceutical companies. And it's either 
you know, you know, tracking lab lab testing, you know, whether or not it's plasma or, you know, just you know, lab work back and forth and making sure it's at the right temperature, it's at the, you know, it's the right humidity and, it, and it's at the right place, by the way, uh, down to the carton level. So, you know, we have sensors that actually can go in the carton itself. And again, not the Pfizer vaccine, because it's like, you know, like there's not a lot of sensors that will go at, at that low temperature. Uh, <clears throat> but the AstraZeneca and, and and the others, you know, that we can actually monitor and manage those. So we're actually helping with the distribution of, you know, with those pharmaceutical companies of uh, the COVID vaccines. Uh, we're also helping with blood, plasma, and you know, just you name it. If it's a if it's a medical, uh, you know, even testing kits, PPE, you know, it's like we can track it at the carton level and make sure it gets to where it needs to go and in the right state uh, uh, that it needs to be in. Um, obviously, integrating back in to the, you know, the health ministry of Israel, as well as MADA. A lot of people don't know who MADA is, MDA. Uh, that's the emergency response uh, group within Israel. And we're on everything from ambulances to uh, defibrillators and all the way on to medical motorcycles. So it's like they can actually monitor the whole process. Like, hey, I got to go out to a, uh, a retirement home and, and vaccinate everybody there. You know, that would be handled primarily like through a MATA organization. That's very valuable. Um, and that's incredible service they're offering to be able to provide. And so can you talk a little bit about your anticipated outlook and expectations and perhaps what some key enablers for success will be um, within the context of this whole conversation? I think in the U.S. Uh, specifically, you know, I think Israel, you know, they have handled on it. And by the way, I think, you know, the administration currently today is looking at best practices. And you just heard I just heard, you know, this week that, you know, they're going to get vaccines to the pharmacies. Uh, you know, I've, I've been saying that like for two months. Right. Until the vaccines, you can go to CVS or Walgreens or uh, Rite Aid and, and get your shot. You know, you're not going to get 300 million Americans vaccinated unless you set up getting to the other thing, huge vaccination centers. And that's where like a FEMA would come in. So, uh, again, you, you need like the Uber Lord for logistics, and that's the CDC, maybe may working with FEMA and then bringing in the private sector to help. I mean, the private sector, you know, there's companies that do this, you know, night and day. You know, it's like huge logistics companies. The best transportation companies in the world are here, and it's just, uh, you know, that's where you use the Defense Production Act or something like that to say, hey, we need to get, you know, PPE in mass to this place and get it distributed. And so I think that partnership is going to happen. You know, you're starting to see the administration starting to make that move in a big way. So. I think after you know the bulk of people get vaccinated, which hopefully it'll be you know by the end of the year, then it's it can go back into its normal, you know, hey, I'm going to go get my flu booster uh, program, which already exists. And now, uh, given that expectation, the outlook, understanding of the dynamics, understanding your position in the industry space, can you talk to us a little bit about both how how you slash powerfully thinks about uh, evolving the service offering and and perhaps what may or may not be on the future development product roadmap. And in addition to that, uh, talk a little bit about how um, shippers in the space, both shippers and consumers of the distribution service services, how they should be thinking about using the supply chain networks, uh, factors they should be thinking through and other elements um, that they should be thoughtful about to ensure success. 
I mentioned a little earlier, I think, is just the uh, visibility. It, it comes down to you know true visibility and uh, velocity of the supply chain. So we're actually, you know, do we have surge potential? Do we have the ability to move even from the base beginning of supply? We found out at the beginning of COVID, you know, we ran out of toilet paper, right? We ran out of certain foodstuffs. <clears throat> we couldn't transition bulk food producers into, uh, you know, home delivery type packaging. And I think as a, you know, as a country, we need to tackle those bigger problems of, hey, how do we have flexibility so we can, you know, not just so specialized. I think we were very good at specializing our supply chains to get efficiencies and cost out that we got too specialized, you know, because all of a sudden, you know, the choke points happen. So I think uh, for customers specifically, the new technologies, there's a confluence of technologies that are going to allow you to have a lot more visibility and a lot more data to drive real-time decision-making, you know, stop the problem before it happens. And, you know, using uh, machine learning, as I mentioned before, artificial intelligence, it's like looking at uh, corollary and collateral information. <clears throat> you know, we're actually can capture data that uh, from, you know, not just the door sensor, know what door it's at. Uh, I can, you know, know the door of the trailer is open or closed, know the temperature of the trailer. By the way, maybe change the set point of the trailer before you open the door so that way that temperature incursion doesn't have any impact, you know, so that's proactively taking care of those situations. And by the way, if you track it down to the pallet level, I mean, one of our sensors is called a multi-sense. It's literally the size of a couple of 50 cent pieces stacked together. I mean, you can put that anywhere, you know, and it's like, you know, if if you have foods, food regula regulations, you know, it's not much different uh, from pharma, you know, it's very strict and it's gonna get, you know, just more onerous. Uh, and that's better for all of us, right? You know, I want to make sure my vaccine that I get, you know, wasn't sitting on the shelf and is old, and it was all, and it was maintained through its, uh, you know, chain of custody at the right temperature the whole way. And the same with food. And I think that's what we try and do is help those customers, help those endpoint customers. Like Publix is a great customer of ours. You know, it's like they, we make sure we help their drivers get to where they need to go. We make sure, you know, their trailers and uh, the refrigerated trailers are kept at the right temp and we make sure they know where their drive van trailers are at all times. So again, that's what we try and do is help our customers make decisions in real time uh, and, and get rid of problems and bottlenecks. Yeah, that's remarkable. And you know, I think I think everyone in the country would be in agreement. Everybody in the world would be in agreement that uh, we're very hopeful that we'll continue to successfully navigate our way through this and hopefully learn a lot of lessons from it in case, um, you know, one, so we can be more preventative up front. But then, two, if something occurs again, we can be prepared for it. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. So with that, Chris, Chris Wolf, CEO, powerfully. Chris, thank you very much for your time. It's great to have you on. Hopefully we'll, we'll have hey. you on again soon. Hey, thanks, JT. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm JT Angstrom with Freight Waves. Thank you all for joining us.